Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome and thank you for tuning in. You're listening to the Beyond 50 radio program. I'm Daniel Davis. Joining us back on the program today is Charlotte Dennett. She is author of The War, Follow the Pipelines. The pipeline war erupting in Niger and 9-11 will be discussed today as we have a lot going on when it comes to this. And she's joining us here on the program to give you an idea of who we are talking with. She is certainly a former Middle East reporter, investigative journalist, as well as an attorney, and is also the co-author of Thy Will Be Done, The Conquest of the Amazon, Nelson Rockefeller, and the Evangelism in the Age of Oil. I'd like to welcome the Beyond 50 radio program today, our guest, Charlotte Dennett. Charlotte, thank you for joining us back here on the program. Hi there. Looking forward to it. Now, there seems to be a lot going on here, especially since the last time we talked. Uh, the biggest one, I think, is the decoupling of the United States petrodollar and how the BRICS nation is coming together with their currency, especially when you think about Saudi and the Middle East. So why don't you go ahead and kind of catch us up to date with what's going on there and what we can expect or what intentions are going on with all this? Well, I... Um... <clears throat> I was just reviewing the latest on it, and uh, the BRICS, you know, there's the, um, these are countries that um, see themselves as not being part of, like, the G7, and it stands for, what, uh, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And so they've been meeting for some time, trying to figure out how they can uh, avoid being dependent on the petrodollar, and they recently had a uh, meeting in Johannesburg. That was on August 23rd. Um, <clears throat> so there is talk about uh, forming their own currency. And I, when I when I uh, read this, just updating myself on it, I'm thinking like this is this is a big project. And uh, in a recent Reuters report, I do see that. There are some members who are strongly advocating for this, like Lula of Brazil and, of course, Russia. Uh, Putin um, was quoted as saying, the objective irre irreversible process of de-dollarization of our economic ties is gaining momentum. That's what he said at the summit meeting. On the other hand, there are other uh, countries that seem a little bit more reserved about it because it's, it's going to take a lot of work. So um, while some people feel that this is going to be a, a happening thing soon and um, that if countries start to trade in a, in a currency different than the dollar, um, that will uh, affect the dollar um, having less value and it, c it could cause superinflation. That's one of the predictions. I'm not so sure it's going to happen that fast. I think it's definitely worth uh, following very carefully because for the longest time, of course, the petrodollar has reigned supreme in the world. But um, 
especially uh, since the war in Ukraine, um, there's been uh, significant, what shall I say, backlash. That is, on the one hand, you have the uh, NATO countries all in uh, joining each other um, to support Ukraine against Russia. There are many countries in the world that have long memories of uh, Western foreign intervention and neo-colonial control of their economies, and and so the sanctions against Russia has has literally forced Russia into their camp. One of the ideas is uh, gaining more support their own currency. Another thing that's happening is in Africa right now. There's there's like a whole lot of pipeline projects going on uh, in Africa as. Um, as Europe uh, tries to find new sources of natural gas because of the uh, closing of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, it's all connected, really. I mean, it, from my perspective, you've got to analyze the world from a geopolitical perspective. And uh, I think more and more this is happening. I think even journalists are catching on now. Um, so I could go on about the war in Ukraine. I could talk about uh, the Middle East. Um, I, I leave it to you to um, guide me on that. Yeah, not a problem. In fact, Charlotte, I was going to say, why don't we start there? Because a lot of people look at, you know, for instance, the war in, in Ukraine. And I know as we talked about it last time, that as we approach it from the perspective that you have, especially, you know, in light of your book, Follow the Pipelines, it makes a lot more sense than a lot of nonsense we're being fed about it. So why don't we start with that one to give people more clarity about what's really going on in that war. I mean, for me, even before your book came along, I could see it. But then as I read your book, I was like, this makes perfect sense now. <laughs> you know, oh, good. Versus all the nonsense that people are being fed. You know, stop watching the news. Those guys don't do any investigating. They don't do any journalism. So don't bother listening to them. <laughs> First of all, I'm, I'm I'm very glad and heartened that um, you you now have caught on that just by following the pipelines you can start unraveling some of these crazy wars that are going on, and uh, I would also uh, tell uh, your listeners that we have a website called Follow the Pipelines. I haven't updated it recently. I got to put a lot more Africa information in there, like what's happening in Niger. Uh, I do have information on Ukraine, and there's some great maps. That's the whole point. You know, once you look at the maps, the maps don't lie. Uh, my book has like 10 maps sort of describing all the endless wars that have been going on, <clears throat> and it touches on Ukraine. So anyway, um, Ukraine, uh, I was um, first uh, alerted to developing uh, tensions over re Ukraine uh, in the years le leading up to the Russian invasion because there were efforts by the West to prevent the completion of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Uh, <clears throat> Europe, uh, before the war, was heavily dependent on Russian natural gas and oil. And the Nord Stream 1 pipeline is what fed the natural gas to Germany, and from there it was distributed throughout Europe. 
so then um, came along the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And uh, there, there's just, I've documented, I think in my book, there's, there's a clear history of NATO countries trying to prevent it, the Nord Stream 2, from going online. It was scheduled to go online the summer of 2002, I mean 2022. And Germany was all for it because Germany had decided to um, wean itself off nuclear power. So it was going to become increasingly dependent on natural gas. But um, with the Russian invasion that actually happened, um, the U.S. came down heavily on Germany to um, not allow this pipeline to go through, to, to put a hold on it. And that's what Germany did. And then, so that's when I, I, I was already starting to predict that the Ukraine war might become what I was calling the mother of all pipeline wars. And I think my prediction is, has borne out because um, whereas the other wars that I document, and that would be uh, the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, um, Gaza, and uh, Yemen, those are all pipeline wars, and I document that, but they were not on a worldwide um, level, whereas Ukraine, I mean, we're all holding our breath and hoping that World War III doesn't break out, but there are, are, are a lot of um, what you would even call entangling alliances reminiscent of World War One. So you've got all the NATO's, NATO countries that so far they're holding together, and I suppose the Biden administration can be credited for that, but there's there's tension because, you know, they're, they're the Europeans' um, oil and gas bills have, have gone up since this has happened and since, of course, the sabotage of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And then another thing that um, seldom gets discussed is the fact that, that, that Ukraine holds the largest, the second largest uh, amount of oil and natural gas in Europe uh, that is not counting Russia, which part of, is considered part of Europe. Europe. Um, but at any rate, so it has huge reserves, and most of them are, guess where? They're in the eastern region. And so um, this is seldom discussed. This is where all the fighting is going on. So to my mind, when I look at it from the point of view of, of uh, two superpowers battling it out, in a proxy war uh, over control over this very valuable piece of real estate, uh, I see a tragedy I, uh, on on both sides. I mean, I see a tragedy for the Russian people, for the U Ukrainian people. They're the ones that are losing their lives, uh, and and the casualties are astronomical, which is to me very disturbing. And meanwhile, you have um, you have the U.S. Uh, and Putin digging in, and 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 both sides show show no signs of wanting to um, go to the peace table. So this is this is very troubling. And then we've got, of course, the uh, the huge nuclear power plant in Ukraine. Everyone's worried about that, and there are other nuclear power plants as well. So we're in a dangerous time, I have to say. And <clears throat> the sooner people begin to understand 
this war from an energy perspective, then I think it's going to make sense to them. And, and again, I would urge you to go to follow the pipeline's website because we got the maps, and we show all the, all the pipelines that crisscross Ukraine that were built by the Russians. And um, that just shows you how dependent Europe is on uh, natural gas, and, and in the past, Russian natural gas. And now, because there's sanctions against the Russians, um, there's this desperate search for other uh, locations of, of where to get their oil and natural gas, and that brings us to Africa, among other places. And the latest example of that is Niger, which um, is now has a huge pipeline project in the works, and it's now put on hold because of the coup that recently happened. It's 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 absolutely breathtaking. So let's go into some detail. Yeah, I was going to say, let's go into some detail about Niger because a lot of people seem to be of the uh, thought they're just trying to become a sovereign nation again and basically get the French and the French army out of there. But there's a lot more to it than just simply occupation. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true. And and um, the the people of Niger, like the people of Nigeria, which is going to be part of this pipeline project, um, they have not benefited from the oil that has been um, extracted from these countries. They're, they're very poor. And there's a lot of anger towards the French in Niger, understandably. Um, so then this coup happened, and, um, of course, Russia's in there big time. One, one wonders if, if Russia had anything to do with the coup. I, I don't know. I haven't been able to document that yet. But they are um, – my understanding is that the new junta – um, wants to throw France out and also French projects. And um, that pipeline uh, is part of the uh, French project in there. I mean, the, NATO is also invested in it. So this may be their, um, if I can use the analogy, sticking it to the man. Uh, yes, uh, there are people who say, well, doing it through through a coup isn't too cool. Um <clears throat> And um, I don't know how democratic the new coup leaders are going to be, but this is just another example of countries uh, that have been plundered uh, for their resources for literally centuries and are now finding common cause. So uh, we need to keep our eyes on that very carefully. And one thing I would encourage people to do whenever there is a conflict that breaks out, there's a very simple way to see if there's an oil connection to it. And you just type the name of the country and oil or and pipelines. And uh, my book began by um, looking at the role of oil, which was preeminent at the time. And let me just add another point, which is <clears throat> that the reason that people don't know about the oil connection, they, it's not covered in the news, is because it's national security. And the reason it's national security initially was because oil is the fuel of the military, and it remains the fuel of the military. 
So uh, any country that aspires to be a major power in the world has to be sure it has enough fuel to supply the military. And one of the great lessons of World War One and World War Two was to the Germans, because in both cases they lost both wars because they did not, they ran out of gas, literally, they ran out of gas. So that's why... Um, there is what I call the great game for oil, all these different countries competing against each other, even former allies. Uh, I found that out during World War II. Uh, the, the British, the French, the Russians were all against uh, the Americans building a Saudi pipeline that was going to go from Saudi, Saudi's rich oil fields to the Mediterranean with a terminal in, guess where, Haifa, Palestine, now Israel. That's a whole other conversation. But um, and it is also now natural gas is very important. And uh, I found this article. I don't remember if I mentioned it in our last talk. It was put out by the Rand Corporation back in 2000. It said it's called Ukraine and the Caspian: An Opportunity for the United States. And it, it's all about the Caspian Sea, which has been um, found to have huge quantities of oil and natural gas. And at this time, the whole question was how to pipe it out. And um, it was piped out eventually by one pipeline um, going under the Black Sea into Turkey. Uh, I document this in my book. There was also a pipeline that was scheduled to cross through Afghanistan and to go into um <clears throat> Uh, across Afghanistan to Pakistan and India. It was called TAPI. And uh, that's the whole reason for the war in Afghanistan, if you can believe it. Um, as one U.S. State Department official said, it was built so the energy could flow south. Uh, and I have a map of it, and I show where the troops are that go to protect it. But at any rate, coming back to this report on Ukraine and the Caspian, um, I mean, it just acknowledges that um, uh, here, I'm quoting from Caspian Sea Basin, has attracted considerable attention due largely to speculation as to the potential size of the region's natural gas and oil reserves. Um, while analysts continue to debate whether the resources will ever prove significant, um, they they think it's important to deal with this, and they call it a major geo, geopolitical challenge. Uh, that pipeline was never built, but that doesn't mean that they haven't continued to consider running that pipeline, which would go from Azerbaijan and uh, eventually um, connect uh, through Ukraine under the Caspian Sea. So this is pipeline politics in the raw. And the other dimension that goes along with it is military. The whole purpose of all these um, military projects and wars is to protect the pipelines. It's as simple as that. And then you've got the banking uh, aspect, which is no, um, no financial institution will support a pipeline project unless the security of the pipeline is assured. So those are the dimensions that, that come to play in all these uh, major pipeline projects.
You know, it's pretty amazing, too, and that's what I really enjoyed about your book because it really adds a lot of what I'd call logic and reason to why we even bother going to war in the first place. I believe that people are becoming more in the know, though, uh, that we can't be, let's say, bamboozled by a media that claims the story is much different than something like what we're talking about here today. And here's something I want to bring up. I think this is pretty important, too, and I really enjoyed this chapter. In fact, you might say that I was frothing at the mouth (laughs) because I couldn't stand this family to begin with. But then at the same time, it also paints a clearer, more realistic picture, and it's interesting because it's coming up a lot more now, and that is 9-11. And the Bush family. (laughs) And boy, there's something that can really, you know, you you think this all just starts to make a lot more sense now, you know. Why don't we go ahead and explore Because I think that really ties together really well for what we're experiencing with Ukraine and Niger, the BRICS nation and, you know, everything coming together with them, especially with their monetary system, the decoupling of the dollar. I mean, it just... There it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, yes, um, there is a way to unravel 9-11 as well. And <clears throat> interestingly enough, what, while there is, you know, a whole bunch of theories out there, <clears throat> you know, people challenging the official story, uh, the one thing that has not been fully explained is again a geopolitical analysis and so you have to start back to the plotting that happened um, prior to Bush getting in into office uh, and that was with Cheney, uh, Wolfowitz, Fife and and the project for New American Century uh, in the late 90s and they were scanning the world and looking for new sources of oil and natural gas. Cheney had his eyes on the Caspian Sea, for instance, um, but they were also, of course, looking at Iraq. And so then, uh, once uh, Bush got into power, then um, the plans began to solidify. And, I mean, you really, you cannot just deny um, that the famous statement about how a new Pearl Harbor would would be needed to uh, get the American people to want yet another war. Um, and uh, especially after the earlier Iraq war and, of course, the Vietnam War. And um, I, I, I would bet that they regret that they ever said that. But, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense that something horrendous had to happen. And then when you uh, chart what happened um, after 9-11, um, Iraq, the invasion of Iraq was immediately discussed, and this is all in my book, uh, as well at, well, but the first thing that had to be done is uh, to go after the Taliban for harboring Osama bin Laden. And Prior to 9/11, the Taliban had been heavily courted by the by the Bush administration. They had even gone down. Uh, some of their the warriors' leaders had gone down to Texas uh, to talk about how they would be the best uh, group to protect the Tappy Pipeline. 
Then there was a falling out over the terms, uh, both in terms, I think, of the royalties they were going to get. And and then um, after after 9-11, the U.S. uh, tried to get the Taliban to turn over Osama bin Laden uh, as the culprit, the mastermind in 9-11, and the Taliban said, well, we're not going to do it unless you give us the proof. Well, the proof was never forthcoming. And so then uh, the United States uh, concocted its pretext for invading Afghanistan, and and this was the so-called good war, uh, to go after Osama bin Laden. And then that was followed up in two years by going after Iraq. And it's all about oil and getting control of it. The the Bush were were sort of min- the Bush family were minor players compared to, for instance, the Rockefellers. And of course, I, I got my education on uh, the Rockefellers by uh, looking into the, uh, Nelson Rockefeller's hidden empire in uh, Brazil and and Latin America. So that's all in my book with with uh, Gerard Colby, the the major author. Um, yeah, we we spent 18 years investigating uh, why it was that indigenous people uh, were were being dispossessed of their land and slaughtered in the Amazon. And what we were eventually able to find out is that uh, evangelical missionaries uh, were being used and financed uh, to pacify the Indians uh, to make way for you know oil companies and agribusiness and ranches and when that didn't work uh then the the military came in and and these people were killed so we documented all that and one of the things i learned is that um that i we essentially learned the playbook of of how it works how um conquest happens and and some people have called i will be done an anatomy of conquest so once you know the players and how they operate, you can apply it to just about anywhere in the world. I, I would recommend that book, too. It, it's it's big. It's very it's thousand pages, but, boy, there's a lot in there. So, um, yeah, so I just applied what I had learned from that to the Middle East uh, and, and to 9-11. And um, so I... I uh, I am actually um, sit on the uh, board of a group called um, <clears throat> the Lawyers Committee. I'm a lawyer as well. Lawyers Committee for 9/11 Inquiry. I I feel you know it's an it's the obligation of any lawyer that knows of a crime to report it, and um, which, which has really motivated me to get to the bottom of 9/11. And um, <clears throat> there will be uh, a big um, a sort of a um, Zoom session on Sunday, September 7th uh, at 2 o'clock. If you go to our website, Lawyers uh, Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, it's all there, and people can get, get on board and listen. There will be a whole bunch of presentations. So... Mm-hmm. Um, Applying a geopolitical analysis, to me, it all makes sense. Um, the wars were achieved. Uh, the um, the Patriot Act with 
with all of its insidious uh, restrictions uh, on our our right to to freedom uh, and uh, the endless the endless wars that followed. It's it's so clear, and and yet people have a, a very hard time um, thinking that that this could be quote an inside job. They, they have a hard time thinking about it. I understand that, and yet I argue. Well, did you have a hard time with Bush sending thousands of troops to their deaths in Iraq based on a lie? Mm-hmm. I have a hard time with that, and I've always had a hard time with it. I even ran for attorney general in Vermont and pledged that if I won, I would um, prosecute Bush for his illegal war uh, in Iraq. Yeah, I remember uh, Vincent Bigliosi, uh, who's well known for the Charles Manson trial. Uh, We had him on the program as he uh, produced a book called The Prosecution of George W. Bush for Murder and how he was dedicated to seeing what they could do to go after him and you know, take him down yeah, because Bugliosi, of something. Like yeah, I was inspired by Bugliosi's book, and we teamed up. You know, he he couldn't huh? find a prosecutor. Yeah, he couldn't find a prosecutor anywhere to do it, you know. and um, <clears throat> But I learned about it, in a, and he said, you know, it, it could be in a state. You could also prosecute Bush in the state, even though he wasn't in the state. But um, he, he, he provided the legal mechanism for how somebody uh, running for attorney general, and if they were an attorney general, they could proceed. And, and he was going to be my uh, uh, special prosecutor in the whole process, and, and he came to Vermont. He was with me when um, I had my uh, press conference announcing my run. It's all in my book, The People Versus Bush. It describes the whole thing. It was really a lot of fun. He campaigned with me. Uh, the problem is that I took up the challenge far too late. I mean, I, I didn't announce that I was running until the September before the November elections. And because oh. uh, Vermont was, was very anti-Bush, we thought we had a chance. Uh, down in Brattleboro, the southern part of the state, the, the citizens uh, vowed that they would do a citizen arrest if Bush ever set foot in uh, Vermont. And so we launched the campaign. But the problem is that after the initial press uh, conference, which was pretty widely covered, the, the uh, press just ignored my, ignored my race. It was hard to get the word out there. And only afterwards, people said, oh, if I'd only known, I would have voted for you. So we didn't win that. Uh, But we learned a lot. And my book traces uh, all the scheming that the, I mean, it even goes beyond, uh, it goes beyond what Bugliosi did uh, and deals with the whole torture issue, for instance, uh, how the Bush administration schemed to um, get this war going in Iraq. They, they had to come up with new laws, uh, and they had to torture people, um, and I describe how that weighs in. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that was pretty insidious. So mm-hmm. uh, the, the Lawyers Committee, if people go to that website, they will see that there has been an earnest effort to bring the evidence that we have uh, 
to a grand jury uh, because, as you know, everybody's hearing about grand juries now with regard to Trump. But yeah. one thing that most people don't understand is that the grand jury system uh, was supposed to be, uh, it, it comes out of the monarchy, and it was supposed to be like a people's forum, legal forum, separate and apart from the monarch. And it wasn't, the grand jury system was enshrined in the U.S. Constitution. But what has happened is that if you want to get evidence of a crime to a grand jury, you have to go through either a prosecutor or a judge. So they are the gatekeepers. And uh, the, the, the lawyers' committee tried to submit its considerable evidence um, to a prosecutor, and they just they they just turned it down. We had uh, family members and some uh, who had who had lost loved ones in 9/11, and we had um, also uh, some first responders, including a fire chief, um, as our plaintiffs. <laughs> and the courts ruled that they didn't have standing to sue. Imagine that. Wow. So this right. this is a con- continuous challenge, but but we're still at it. Charlotte, there's something I'd like you to, since you are you know in law and so forth. Uh, let people know what does it mean when a court says you don't have standing. Well, I, what it means is uh, simply that there are certain prerequisites. Uh, for you to um, be able to sue, it's simply it's simply that, and it depends. It depends on which law you're dealing with, or, or uh, yeah, or or which crime. Uh, so, and that in civil in civil cases, it's standing to sue. In uh, criminal, I should say, it's standing to to prosecute to, to go ahead with the prosecution, and. <clears throat> Apparently, uh, the, the the court had construed this argument that um, that they had not that that the damages to uh, the the um, people who wanted to bring their evidence was not sufficiently explained. Um, at any rate, having standing can be. Um, you know, it can be manipulated just like anything else. And and if you are uh, uh, determined to protect um, state secrets or national security or whatever, you'll come up with your reasons. And it's very hard. It's very hard to go up against very powerful forces uh, in the legal system. Uh, I already learned that when, when my husband, who wrote a major expose on the DuPont family, uh, which was suppressed, and um, it was suppressed by both the publisher and DuPont Company, and and we went to court, and and uh, sued not on the First Amendment because uh, the First Amendment only applies to government actions, and these were corporations. So we sued them on uh, breach of contract and um, attempted breach of contract interference with contract, I should say. Uh, mm-hmm. And in that case, they they just um, killed the book um, in a process called 
thing to publish a book privately so it sinks without a trace. You you cut all the life support of a book. I'm going way out. I'm going way far afield here, but I just want to say when when you when you take on the most powerful it it becomes very difficult to get justice. But but I'm sure. we still we still try and now there are thousands of people, I mean thousands of architects and engineers uh, that have questioned the official story on 9-11. It's now gone international. Our, our September 7th event will tie in a group from London. And so, you know, people are not giving up. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's the thing about the uh, truth is that it tends to be dogged and tireless. And it's just going to reveal itself no matter how much you try to hide it. And when you talk about lawfare, especially when we see this day and age, the prosecution of, uh, you know, Donald Trump, you know, here it seems obvious to everybody that it's, you know, it's uh, certainly voter interference uh, that seems to be happening. But the point about it is, is that you see this two-tiered justice system, you know, criminals are being let out of jail if they even get that far at all. But on the other hand, innocent people defending their property, you know, they seem to be the ones getting their Selves prosecuted and thrown in jail and it gets crazy when you think about this on an international level and realize you know it almost feels like you're fighting against a lost cause but i just keep thinking well compared to where we were 60 years ago when you think about something like world war ii or even the war in vietnam is that nowadays people have more access to information in real time Therefore, let's start being more discerning about our thinking and the information we receive at sources, for instance, the credibility of those sources, find out things for yourself. And I think that there is more of an awakened culture around the world nowadays where the government simply has become the problem, and we seem to be caught in the middle of it. And when you realize what that problem is in the cases we're talking here today, it's basically to be the guy that stops the bullies from coming and taking your toys or your oil, for instance, then it gets a lot simpler to realize perhaps there is a path that this can be changed or even expunged, you know, for free democracy, if you will. Well, I, I'm uh, all for protecting democracy. And um, <clears throat> first of all, I, I, I think you're right. Uh, Because of the Internet, information is becoming more available. But now, uh, on the other hand, I I have a trouble with people just relying on the Internet, I have to say, but that's the journalist in me. I watch cable TV. I want to know what people are hearing, whether it's on CNN or Fox or MSNBC. And, um, you know... um, I have a real serious problem with Fox, and and it's been sued up the yin-yang now for spreading lies. Secondly, Trump is a crook, he's a criminal, and he's a con man. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. He is, he always has been, and he deserves to be prosecuted. And there's a whole array of people that went along with his scheme to uh, deny the American people... um, their their rights to vote and uh, i mean there's in this case i'm sorry there's ample ample evidence by republicans secretaries of state and all those different states that questioned whether trump won 
and they've all said it was a fair election. So I don't I don't buy one bit that um, the election was stolen. Trump is a con man and a criminal. He always has been, and he's desperately trying to stay out of. Uh, jail, and that's a thing that that might, might get people really furious. It's like the the lower level people are all going to jail, and what's going to happen to Trump? Is he going to go free? He doesn't care about them. He cares about himself. So you got mm-hmm. me going on a roll on that man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't so much about him. You, you, you've got to admit that based on what we see, and it isn't just him. It's for a lot of different. Uh, situations about the rule of law you know where does it really apply you know you just kind of seem to be applying it wherever you want to wherever it's convenient and you pretty much summed that up earlier when you were talking about the book deal falling apart how big powers just seem to kind of get in there and okay so there's rule of law but what does it really mean anymore yeah well you have that's true that is absolutely that's true but but what we need that. to do oh sorry yeah, what we no, need no, to do just... is we have a we have a a limited democracy as it is, and, and which is proven when you go up against the big boys. You know, then you realize that um, you know. What, but one of, one of the one of the few vestiges of democracy that we have is the right to vote. Okay, and and so when that when that is tampered with. Then you've got a serious problem, and now we've got AI coming on board, and, you, and you're not going to know who, 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 who to believe. This is very serious, and I, I say this from the, from the point of view of a journalist who strives to tell the truth uh, and, and learning that you know, my voice could be uh, you know, taken and, and put out as real and, and with fake, fake information. This, this is bad. So I, mm-hmm. I, I feel for the American people because, you know, I, I understand who the hell are you going to trust, right? Um, right. But, but, but I think that, that they have become more discerning, and I think that's a good thing. But I would urge people not just to rely on what you want to read that reinforces your own take. Uh, it's really important to... to balance it with with all like who has time i get that too i have i have the time to to screen other sources um yeah we're we're in a we're in a dangerous time now for sure because because yeah, if, no, if, no. if we if we don't if we can't count on our votes then what have we got we've got autocracy and that's mm-hmm. going around all over all over the country so, you know, you it's certainly it's amazing time as well, especially if you can kind of get the uh, rose-colored glasses off and realize, no, your government really isn't here, at least in part, to protect you and your rights. You know, that doesn't matter. What matters is they protect their interests. And it just, you know, it all gets crazy. I, I kept thinking about, for instance, I'm sure you probably got some good insight on this. We talk about how the Biden administration, when they took over, immediately stopped uh, construction of the XL pipeline from Canada into the United States, but now we're going out and we're uh, using up our reserves and we're buying oil outside of the United States when the thought was, well, weren't we energy independent at one point? And what was all that about? And then the sabotage, as you mentioned 
earlier about Nord Stream too. You know that that oh, yeah. seems to have been the United States was involved in actually doing that, and they tried well, blaming Russia. Was, no, well, so, the, the latest the latest is that the blame is being put on uh, some rogue Ukrainian groups. Uh, there was a uh, there was a fairly recent piece in the Times that said that um, yeah that the CIA had had tried to warn um, the U.S. Uh, and Ukraine, that there were the this rogue group that planned to do it. Um, at any event, yeah, I mean, as for, um, you see, the Biden administration is under under incredible pressure right now because on the one hand, um, you have the dangers of, uh, you know, climate catastrophes. And, and again, I, you know, I've been on talk shows, and, and there are people – especially people who come from regions uh, where there's, a, you know, a strong oil industry. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, it was in Alberta, I think, I had a conversation. And uh, conti- the oil companies are continually, to put, continually putting out uh, information that um, fossil fuels aren't responsible for climate change. And I, I really think that that argument is finally... It's just, it can't be accepted anymore. I mean, when we look at the summer that we've just gone through, uh, so Mm -hmm. do not trust, including local oil uh, companies, what they're saying that that they're not responsible because even even the CEOs have been, um, you know, put put on uh, trial basically not on trial but they've been brought before congress and they've admitted that they knew that fossil fuels uh emissions were responsible for climate change so uh biden is is torn because i think he recognizes what causes it and at the same time he knows that um um because of the war in ukraine he's got to find alternative sources of energy so uh whereas Originally, uh, pipelines in the um, uh, United States were put on hold. Now, now he's allowing them to get back online, if I understand it correctly. Uh, but, but ultimately, uh, we got to wean ourselves off. It, it's just there are too many floods, too much drought, um, too much disaster, and and this is this is a, a real uh, problem for the world, in my opinion. Do, do you do, are are you a, a climate denier or or do you think that fossil fuels have something to do with it? Well, I f- certainly uh, believe that <clears throat> we could reduce our footprint in that uh, situation. I know for me, as I bicycle and I use the transit system day to day to day to day. In fact, I haven't even owned a car in what eleven twelve years now. Uh, I do rent when I want to go on road trips. Well, what does that oh, happen? A, Maybe once or a month. Yeah, that's and actually, <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are actually they they ask me, you really do that? And I said, well, yeah, you know, just think about it, especially when you're in the uh, in Arizona, uh, their bus system seems pretty reliable, especially if you're in Phoenix in the metro area there. But throw a bike on a bus, and you can pretty much get anywhere you want. <clears throat> Maybe not as quickly and conveniently as jumping in your car. But the point is, then you become more mindful about your trips. It's just a choice that I make. 
Um, do I miss having a car where I could just get out there and have that convenience? Well, of course, but it, you know, once you wean yourself off of that, you feel a lot more empowered. Uh, as far as climate change, I think you, you take a look at the presentations that are being made out there. You got, for instance, John Kerry jet setting around in a, <laughs> you know, in a giant jet, you know, or you have, for instance, Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, on his million, multi-million dollar yacht and saying, you know, you shouldn't be doing these things, even though I'm doing them. And yeah, well, really, I get that. It's a lot of people when you're trying to say on the one hand, you know, you're do. in fact, here's my, uh, it's not even an argument. What's really irritating about the whole thing is we became a culture and this goes worldwide, but America was really good about starting this about having more building that life of abundance and consumerism. We were actually conditioned through marketing and advertising for decades and decades and decades to become those very people these big companies wanted to sell all their products and services to. Then as we started getting into the habit to where it almost seemed that we were dependent for these sort of behaviors they helped condition us to want to be, then they're turning around saying it's all our fault. <laughs> it's like, wait yeah. a minute. You don't want to get somebody who's hooked on heroin. You got them hooked on it and say it's their fault for being hooked on it when you gave it to them in the first place. Yeah, it's like that's that's kind of where I stand. It's like people, you know, forget about what all these talking heads, the poly, all of that. Just see what you could do to just make your environment better than as you used it. You know, if you could leave it better, you know, that's your, that's a choice all of us can make. And well, so sure to get, yeah, of raising the money, uh, you know, on a battle oil, you know, the funny thing is, is nobody really wants war. I don't think anybody in the world wants war and we're doing it over fossil fuels. Yes. Yeah. It seems to me this day and age with our kind of know-how and rolling up our sleeves, let's get little, let's uh, become, you know, engineering, you know, that sort of a thing and start thinking technologically, how could we actually become better? And I've seen uh, that happen. You know, wouldn't that be nice? No, I mean, that's really what it's all about. But, but again, mm. tragically, I come back to until, uh, until the Pentagon develops an alternative to oil to fuel its jets and, it, and its, well, it's got nuke-powered submarines, but uh, right. until it uh, until it finds the alternative, it, the the quest goes on, and it is going on. Um, I, it's just that that now uh, the world is reeling from uh, climate climate change, and uh, I think the pressure is is ultimately uh, going to be. Um, I hope, I frankly hope, will be decisive, so that you know solar power. Uh, wins the day, and oh, by the way, uh, electric power. Uh, now there's going to be the rush for for lithium, right? So that uh, because that's a key component to like electric powered cars. So we're going to have lithium wars, unfortunately. I feel, um, but anyway, um, I I hope as uh, humanity will come out of this. I mean, we owe it to a younger generation, and that's why they're all up in arms, you know? I mean, there are lawsuits going on now, as, as you may be aware. Mm -hmm. Young people uh, suing, um, let's see, I think they're suing governments uh, 
if I'm correct, uh, over uh, the whole climate issue of not taking enough uh, enough stances to wean us off fossil fuels and and to find alternatives, and they're the ones that are really going to be suffering from this. I mean, look at what mm-hmm. happened in Hawaii. I mean, my God, right. how how horrific was that? And that was because well, of drought. Right. They had a terrible drought, and um, it, I mean, they were incinerated. I, I mean, oh, the, the mudslides and the flooding and uh, uh, temperatures in the hundreds. You know, in the very in the very states, by the way. Uh, that have um, oil oil companies. Th- these are mostly a lot of them are independents in the southern states and in Southern California. And these were companies that were vying against the majors, and that's like Exxon Mobil, Chevron, uh, BP, uh, Total. Those were the big guys. And those are the companies that usually get the very big contracts. So what you had, it started under Bush, and it continued through to Trump, are the independents who are less powerful have been trying to get in into the market. And and they had actually succeeded uh, with, the, with the war in Ukraine because they're shipping vast quantities of natural gas, liquefied natural gas, uh, to Europe. So they're making out really well. Uh, but mm. they're also screaming bloody murder because they can't, there have been certain restrictions on them going into uh, government lands. And they don't like that. Uh, and, that, you know, that's, that's what a corporation is going to do. It's going gonna, it's gonna to try to maximize its profits any way it can do it. Which, which again, brings us to even questioning an entire economic system, which is based on uh, maximizing profits. Who cares about, right. you know, the welfare of people? I mean, some people are mm-hmm. even daring to say that. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they are, they're, I don't want no, to finish the show with, and that is about BRICS nation currency to supplant the U.S. petrodollar. I know we kind of touched on that earlier, but it sounds like independent suppliers are rising to the occasion to supply Europe, thereby perhaps bypassing Russia uh, with all this. Because really the war in Ukraine, as we talk about here in, in, in the uh, pipeline wars, is that was a middleman where Russia was running its pipes through there to supply uh, Germany, for instance, uh, their energy needs. But then the middleman, they were saying, you know, it's time we cut this middleman out, and just get it all for ourselves as far as profits or whatever the case is. But it sounds like that's what's happening with the independence and the BRICS nation simply saying, well, look, we're going to have our own national currency, get this U.S. petrodollar out of the way. In other words, get this middleman out of the way, let these people supply us. So then that way, another country can't come in and say, well, we don't like what you're doing, so we're going to cut off or, you know, these sanctions where we're not going to do this anymore, therefore cutting off your energy supply, it sounds like. Yeah, well, it, it, it's worth following very closely, and I I have to commend you for, for doing that. I mean, you know, you you are one of the readers that, that has taken up this 
this whole geopolitical analysis very seriously. And um, so glad that you're doing it and um, encourage people to continue following your show. By well, the way, over 50, over 50, is that because most of your followers are over 50? No, Beyond 50 was just a show title that I just had come up with at the time because I wanted to address people who are approaching or going into midlife because they were looking to be basically senior citizens by, uh, you know, a lot of people. And I was like, wait a minute, this group is way too active in their lives to just be kind of put out the pasture, so to speak, as senior citizens. So that's where the idea of the show came from. And I was already doing it in the style that I'm doing it now, which is bringing great people on the program to basically hopefully make sense of the world out there and share their stories as well. And uh, oh, that's, well, all that's the terrific. Stuff- and I think you're, you're yeah. right, by the way. I think you're right. And, <clears throat> and one of the things that has yet to happen, although I'm not sure, um, is that, um, you know, the people over 50 uh, – learned a lot. They they woke up politically. I think the Vietnam War was the Vietnam War and then all the assassinations that happened in the 60s. Uh, boy, those were wake-up calls for many of us, all right? And so yeah. you're right. And and uh, we shouldn't be put out the pasture. I think there's a lot people can learn from us. But on the other hand, as I say, the younger generation um, – they, they're turned on to the climate crisis, and, and of course, uh, how could we not uh, understand that? Because they will be directly affected in very serious ways in, in the near future. So hopefully that's, that's going to be something that, that, that brings us all together in a, in a wider understanding. Let's, be, let's try to remain hopeful. <laughs> You know, right. as you say, the truth I, has a way of, of coming out. It, it can't be stopped. Yeah. I don't Maybe want we should end sure on to, that note. Yeah, and I was going to say, Charlotte, you know, in the end, it's like, let's quit looking to see who we can blame for the situation. Let's just take a look at this problem and let's come up with a solution together that, you know, hopefully will make most of us happy. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, Becomes a challenge too. Now, go ahead for our listeners and uh, give out a website where they can find out more about you, your work, and how they can get your book. Follow the pipelines. Oh, thank you, Dan. Well, it's um, uh, I have a website. Actually, it's my name, CharlotteDennett.com, and it's you'll see my legal work and a lot about my my publishing, my articles, and my book. Uh, and uh, the other source is uh, the the website Follow the Pipelines. You can find all you need to know that way. Um, if, if you're interested in my book, you know, Amazon.com has it. Uh, Chelsea Green is a publisher. Um, and and by the way, uh, just not conveyed that the subtitle is uh, Follow Follow the Pipelines: A Lost Uncovering the Mystery of a Lost Spy and the deadly politics of the great game for oil. And the lost spy was my father, who was America's uh, first master spy in the Middle East. And he died mm-hmm. after a top-secret mission to Saudi Arabia, and that's how I got on to looking at the pipeline project he was working on. So that's how it all began. Wow. 
Amazing stuff and quite a background. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us here on the program today. Always eye-opening. It was a great pleasure. Thank you so much. You bet. We want to thank you, the listeners out there, for tuning in. You can discover more at beyond50radio.com. That is the number 50. We do encourage you to sign up for our weekly e-newsletter and stay up to date with what's going on in the world of Beyond 50, as well as our upcoming shows. I'm Daniel Davis. Thank you for joining us. This is the Beyond 50 radio program. And remember, wherever you are is where you should be. Have a great day. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.